This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. As a business owner, have you ever asked, uh, how is my business ensuring profitability and sustainability? Uh, or does my business drive its growth and agenda through a defined strategy? Maybe also, is there a performance management system in place? If you hesitated to answer any of these questions, you need to take a look at the Business Enabling Toolbox, BET. To find out more about BET, check the show notes of this episode. This is Make Your Pitch. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. Together, we chat with entrepreneurs with great ideas, looking for investors to back their vision. We want to be sure investors are there as well as to find the next big hit. So let's get started. And a great big welcome to everyone to this episode of Make Your Pitch. We, as you know, always bring on the best and the brightest. Uh, oftentimes they're startup companies, oftentimes they're investors, but oftentimes they're experts that can actually give you some great nuggets in order for you to improve some of the techniques in your business that will make you much more successful. And today is one of those days where we bring you an expert in a specific area that is so critical to your, uh, re, to your, your sizing of your business, your scaling of your business, and moving it forward. I'm Christopher Knight. And I'm the informative Ellen J. Harris. Oh, very informative indeed, yes. Ellen, would you like to introduce our guest today on Make Your Pitch? I certainly would. Today's guest is Jay Smoke Wallen. His claim to fame, as they say, is strategy, branding and execution, focus, growth. He's a focused growth CEO, advisory keynote speaker, and international business builder in the consumer products group, food and beverage, hospitality, and technology industries. He has frequently served as startup or interim CEO for new and existing businesses. He leads a company called Vertical Wellness, which is a leading vertically integrated consumer-focused health and wellness brand company with innovative hemp cabinoid solutions. Welcome, Christopher. Ah, uh, yes. And you know, that is only a fraction of the introduction they would give to Smoke, but We'll let it go at that for now. Smoke, welcome to Make Your Pitch, my friend. Having me, uh, great to be here. You know, you, you, have, uh, you have quite the reputation in the business and in various areas of the business world. Uh, but right now, let's talk about the one that you're presently working on that you are really starting to drive forward, vertical wellness. Tell us a little bit about what that's all about. Well, Chris, uh, uh, again, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, I, uh, a number of years ago, I spent most of my career in the beverage alcohol industry, building distribution and brands. And I sold out of my last whiskey and vodka uh, company I started uh, several years ago. And my wife turned to me and said, well, before we do another liquor deal, we got to look at cannabis. And literally, uh, uh, that led me on this path to vertical wellness. We got involved in the in the adult use recreational cannabis space in California and 
put some businesses together, raise some capital. And along the way, I went to Washington and I met with some of the leadership in the Senate and the House and was trying to get an idea of how long the federal prohibition was going to still be in place. And uh, this was back in early 18. So it was quite a, quite a, quite a long time in the world of cannabis. Uh, and I left there with the distinct impression that cannabis was going to take a while, but hemp was probably something that we got a lot of bipartisan support on all sides uh, to legalize. So when I got back to California, I said to my partners, we need to get into the hemp business. You know, this is a way to build brands. We think brands are what matter in the cannabis space long-term, but they're very hard to build. And I know we're gonna talk more about that, but they're very hard to build in a fragmented state-by-state -state regulated business. So the idea of vertical wellness was simply, if we created a cannabinoid-based health and wellness company that built brands, we could build them nationally through mainstream retail and distribution, accounts that I have called on for many decades, like Walmart and Walgreens and Hyatt Hotels and Marriott. And we could build brands much faster than in the fragmented THC canopy of the idea of vertical wellness. And since then, we've had lots of interesting twists and turns, which I'm sure we'll get into some of, but we grew a lot of hemp. We extract it into CBD, and then we put that into our, our consumer brands for lots of different categories. And with that being said, you, your categories, though, are very broad. You are trying to actually, you know, let's put it this way. I think your real goal is to uh, kind of, uh, let's say, be one of the leaders in the CBD area throughout the nation. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, and when I say different categories, we really think about all the different places uh, that cannabinoids can have an impact uh, for people. And so when you start thinking about it, and it's not just people. We have pet care. It's actually, uh, there's lots and lots of evidence now coming out that can cannabis-based uh, products, CBD, can help uh, with pets, with arthritis or with or, uh, super excited pets. So we have a pet brand. Uh, we don't think that the same brand you give your, your, your puppy is going to be the same brand you'll put on your injury or you'll drink before a workout or you'll put on your face for cosmetics. So we've built brands that are around different segments of the, of the use of the product. And we've got beauty, health and wellness brands, kind of workout, athletic brands, functional brands. Um, and in each of these categories, we've also kind of zeroed in on different demographics and, um, and audiences that we feel uh, we, can, we can serve. So the idea is we've created a house of brands, if you will. And if you look at lots of big consumer package companies like Nestle or P&G or Diageo or, you know, a lot of these companies have a portfolio of brands in different categories, but they don't say the same brand on every category. You know, I, I think it's always interesting when I get into the brand discussion, uh, when you look at the CBD world, you see a lot of big letter CBD on a lot of the same brands. And it, to me, CBD is a wonderful um, ingredient that comes from the cannabis plant but it is an ingredient and it's not a brand. And so we're building, I, we think um, authentic real brands that happen to use this incredible plant to help uh, with people's uh, needs, whether it's sleeplessness, anxiety, relief or uh, pain relief. And, and we're seeing lots of great results as a result. Well, I know that uh, you have those in development 
when are you actually going to begin release of your, your basic product lines? Well, we, we're live with about 11 brands today. Uh, we've got a, our website, thewellshop.com, where you can get them. We also have a network of sales uh, uh, agencies, uh, brokers who are representing our brands and helping sell into different channels of trade as the market opens back up from uh, COVID and, and we're seeing retail shops open up again and malls open up and restaurants and hotels, uh, we're going out and through distribution and through uh, rep groups, uh, getting our brands into physical distribution. So we have online stores, um, places like Macy's is selling our organic candy factory. Um, we, we're about to go into Walmart with our candy. We've got um, William Sonoma. Uh, and then we've got specialty stores that are bringing in different products uh, depending on their audience. Uh, so we, we, because we have a house of brands and a portfolio, we really are, are, we can enable our salespeople to really never leave an account without a yes, because we have something that will, will fit with almost every account. Uh, and they may not be a, appropriate for, say, the beauty brand, but they could be very... Uh, purpose, you know, perfect for a lifestyle brand like Taos. So we've really got a kind of wide range of offering. They're live now. The thing that's the big brand launch that's about to happen in early summer is we have a partnership with Kathy Ireland and we're doing Kathy Ireland Health and Wellness CBD Solutions, and that will launch this summer. But a lot of the other brands are already available. Excellent. Now I'm going to, I'm going to drop back a year. Okay. And most businesses and of course, you're being a part of so many and such a high, at a high level, uh, you certainly were able to think outside the box. But I understand in uh, 2020 and before even 2020, there was a little uh, a trick played on you that uh, caused a little problem in the business. You want to talk about that for a moment? Well, if you're referring to the uh, collapse of the hemp market and CBD pricing, uh, then I can talk about that. Absolutely. <laughs> Go right ahead. Because <laughs> that, that wasn't done to me. That was done to everybody, um, the whole industry, right? So the, um, you know, when the farm bill passed at the end of, uh, of 2018, uh, there was a lot of exuberance and excitement to get into the space. We were already in it. We had already did a small grow that, that year. And so we were well positioned to, to do something bigger. And we felt like even though we're a brand company, we wanted to have a stake in the supply chain, have a hand in everything from seed to product development to the sh what goes on the shelf. And in a new industry, you can't really rely on the ecosystem. There's not one that's developed. So we thought we had to be in that. So when we, our partner farms planted 1800 acres of hemp in 2019, the CBD oil that would come off of that crop was probably worth three to $400 million. By the time the harvest came around in October, that was might've been worth 30 to $50 million. So uh, we had a complete compression of pricing, everything from the hemp plant itself to the CBD after. And really two, two reasons drove that. One, a lot of people grew uh, and didn't have a home for their hemp. So it was just the supply demand thing. The other was uh, while the many retailers were excited and talking about putting CBD in their stores, many of them ended up tapping the brakes and waiting because the FDA came out with a, a ruling that said ingestibles are not permitted until approved to be safe. So 
retail distribution was about to happen. And we know that because we've been, we were talking to big stores, big chains. We know that many of them were preparing to put CBD shelves and they decided to hold up and see what was going to happen. So between the FDA uh, kind of headwinds and then the oversupply, the market pleasant time between August of 19 and February of 20, pre-COVID, by the way, uh, our processing companies went bankrupt. And these companies had raised over $400 million previously. So they had a lot of capital, but the market just caught a lot of people wrong. We got hurt badly. We almost got public in late 2019 with a... a, a a purpose acquisition company that fell apart and we we had a very difficult time as well but we were able to pivot and figure out new ways of generating revenue and buying time so we could get our brands out well that uh, that also that I happened to see on a uh, a speech uh, series at Vanderbilt an aerial shot of your plant and now what I saw on that were literally tons and tons and tons of hemp and all of it wasn't yours. Uh, so you made some deals, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. So we, I'm here in February, COVID is starting to come. The, the retailers are not going to add any new products. Our hemp, we couldn't turn it into cash. And I was sitting there trying to figure out how do we, how do we survive this? And uh, literally with all these bankruptcies, out, get involved with some of those bankruptcies and maybe we could help the creditors or the investors salvage value out of it because we had a big processing facility and we the thing we had the biggest was a industrial drying operation so we were able to dry a lot of hemp and it turns out that some of the big bankruptcies had a lot of wet hemp that needed to be dried and processed and um, we were able to get contracts to do 18 million pounds of other people's generated you know cash got got us back in business um bought us time to get our brands ready to go and uh you know it was a was an important pivot it it, it i don't think i would set out to be a hemp drying processing business if i started from scratch but it's a maybe a good example for your audience who you know you have to pivot and your your um, may not make sense once you're in a business and circumstances change and good leadership is about seeing that circumstances are different and figuring out a new path forward. Uh, and I think that's what my team did really well. Well, it's also where your experience paid off uh, for sure. And I'm sure in, in guiding the team, you've got a great team behind you. Uh, let's uh, spin off for a moment. And uh, we're going to talk about branding, but I'm going to have Ellen jump in here. So we can talk a little bit about branding because that truly is your, one of your main expertises we want to draw from today. Ellen, go right ahead. Okay, thank you, Christopher. Uh, this is an odd question around branding. Christopher and I have uncovered a blue ocean opportunity in our sector, which is the consulting and coaching area. And what we have found is the, the market for us is highly fragmented, just like it is in cannabis. My question is, we do have between us several products and we were talking about branding. And if I understand you correctly, you're saying 
the branding isn't around one product in particular, but it's around a portfolio of products. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, and, and I think that it, every circumstances it can be a little different, right? So this is um, just, I'll speak about my business. And, uh, you know, in our case, we felt like there's so many different lanes for uh, natural health and wellness products to play uh, in people's lives, whether it's beauty regimen or health, you know, uh, pre-workout, post-workout kind of ingestion, or it's, um, you know, your pet or, you know, and if you think about maybe the best way to describe what I'm talking about, differentiating brands in different segments and not having one umbrella brand would be comparing it to store brands versus, um, you know, uh, actual consumer brands, right? So store brands like Costco has Kirkland, right? So they slap Kirkland on lots of different products. It's very effective for them. Uh, you know, I think, uh, Every major retailer has their store brands of some kind. Think GNC, the, the health stores. They have GNC labeled uh, vitamins and different you know, solutions, but they also carry the more premium branded products from other people. So I think you know, having a store brand can work if you're a retailer. I think the, uh, where I, where I um, get separated is I don't see a lot of successful brands that slap their name on too many different categories. Maybe Weight Watchers, you know, they kind of get away with it because they have different, you know, uh, different, you know, parts of that brand. But, you know, Diageo, I'll, I'll use an example from my old world. So Diageo owns Johnny Walker Scotch. But they didn't come out with a vodka called Johnny Walker Vodka. They came out, they, they bought Kettle One or they have Chirac Vodka or they have Smirnoff. But they didn't, they didn't try to put it under one brand name. And, and I think that's, that, that's kind of a, a, you know, a good example of what I'm talking about. For a services business like yours, uh, you know, it, could, it could well make sense to brand the, the, the consulting and business as a brand, an umbrella, and then have specific products that you distinctly brand as part of that umbrella. But again, that's um, without knowing the details, I, I'm just speculating, but uh, I think you get my point. Yeah, that was a very good uh, catch on your part, because that's exactly where we are. <laughs> so thank you for that. Now, in, uh, okay, the branding is important. And what I have found over time is that small businesses wrestle with it. They're not sure what it is. Is it my uh, product that I put out? Is what I'm writing? What would you identify as the best approach to begin to think about branding such that it's sustainable. Before you answer that question, let's take a break so we can hear a sponsor for this episode. I have just set up our customer relation management system using CRM Engine, not just for its many options, but because its price is well below that of the big boys. The CRM Engine team set up all that we needed to keep track of our contacts, including those who are scheduled to pitch, our investors, and strategic partners. We now know when we met, what was said, when to follow up, and includes an auto email system to stay in touch timely. It keeps us focused on what makes Maker Pitch what it is, the people. So to learn how to keep your business in touch with your clients using 
CRM engine, go to the show notes of this episode. Well, it's a, it's a really good question. And it's something that I think everyone grapples with at some point in their business, uh, whatever business they're in is how do I brand this? How do I distinct it? And what is a brand? A brand is a, it's really a, uh, it's a, it's a set of expectations that your customer have about a particular product. And, you know, it's a, you know, they call it a brand promise, right? So what is the brand promise of any given brand? And, and the most important thing of any brand promise is that it's consistent, that you yes. know that it's, you know, if I buy a Coca-Cola, it's going to taste like Coke. If I, if I drink a Johnny Walker black, it's going to taste like Johnny Walker black. Now there's nuances like wineries, every vintage is a little different, but you know what Opus one or um, Quintessa wine is supposed to be like, and it may vary from year to year, but it's a certain uh, style of winemaking. So you can have brands that differentiate that, that are different from each other, but are consistent in quality and expectation. So that to me is, is an important concept for people to get, but you can get everything right. You know, you can, you can get um, the packaging, um, the what's in the brand, um, the effectiveness of it, how, how it functions, um, all of the things that go into a brand, the, um, the, the labeling, the marketing around it, the storyline, and you get all those right. But if you don't get distribution and get the product on the shelf at the point of purchase, then you have zero chance of success. So branding is more than just a pretty logo. Branding is about how do you execute? How do you get products? And depending on what you're, what it is, in my case, consumer product products out in the market on the physical shelves in front of the consumer at the point when they might purchase it. And if you get all those things right, you got a 50-50 shot of any brand really working. So uh, anybody that tells you that they're a genius at brands and they know what's going to work, I got a bridge to sell you because uh, uh, like they don't know. Now you can get all those things right and you got a shot at getting a brand to be successful. But if it was a if it was an automatic thing that came out of a textbook, then, you know, why would uh, Coke buy vitamin water and uh, why would Bacardi buy uh, Grey Goose and uh, why do all these deals happen that um, are acquisitions? The big companies would just own everything, but that's not how it works, right? Entrepreneurs sure. create new ideas, they get traction and then big guys want to buy them. And, and with that being you. said, uh, with the new companies, and let's just say I'm uh, I'm into I'm I'm post revenue right now, uh, but yet I still of course of course I have a brand or at least a company name, but I don't really think of it in terms of branding. It's a company name. If uh, if you were to give advice to new companies on how to change it from a company name to a brand, what advice would that be, Smoke? Well, again, it, that's a broad question and depends on the business itself and the type of industry. So generically, I mean, just the way I look at it is you've got to stand out. What is a brand? It's about a brand. It's about expectation that a consumer or customer has of any particular business or brand. And uh, the reason you want to brand your business is to differentiate it from the next business, right? So everyone has to look, you know, hard at their particular industry, their particular category, and think about what are the ways in which I'm different than everyone else? Otherwise you're a commodity and you're just gonna be at the same price as the, whatever the commodity price is. And so it's all about how do I, 
how do I um, build a loyal following that will pay a premium of some sort to my brand versus the next person's? And thank you for that. Uh, and, go ahead, Christopher. Well, in building a community around a brand, is there any type of uh, suggestions there? Because I certainly that that helps to build the brand name. You're building a community there. What uh, what are what are some ideas in that regard? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the number of tools that are available today is amazing compared to uh, not very long ago, right? So 10 or 20 years ago, we didn't have all these social media tools and these, these communities that are out there. So on, on the one hand, it's, it's an unbelievable opportunity to, to create communities, to um, insert your brand into those communities, get a loyal following, get uh, viral um you know, kind of following that, you know, you get a loyal base that, that follows you and then they talk about it and share it with their friends. And, you know, that's, that's magic if you can get that to happen. On the other hand, we have so many different options that it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of noise and a lot of clutter. And it's really hard to break through when you've got uh, so many different channels and places you can see things and consumers get inundated with uh, messages all the time. So it's a really difficult challenge, you know, there, and there's no one size fits all. Uh, you know, I've got this partnership with Kathy Ireland where we're launching Kathy Ireland Health and Wellness. And we think that's a great example of instant brand recognition for a new category. Um, but, you know, it's a new category that has a lot of consumer interest, you know, that people are really interested in. How do I find a, a healthy solution for my sleeplessness, anxiety, pain, um, get off pharmaceuticals and and do something natural, but th the average consumer doesn't know who to trust because it's so fragmented and there's no big brands yet. So, having a partnership with someone like is a well-known, credible person who's been very active in health and wellness for women's issues and children, and uh, she's out there you know, quite a bit and has a very successful business and brand, instantly builds some credibility. So, in this case, we think that's a, a very appropriate partnership and, and one that will help accelerate uh, our brand quite a bit. On the other hand, not every celebrity is a good match. Not every influencer is a good fit. And so I would caution uh, your audience in thinking that it's only about getting someone famous. You know, if you get the wrong famous person or someone who's not really engaged or someone that's inauthentic uh, with whatever your, your brand is, it can backfire on you and it can, it can be not worth it at all. And, and you could spend a lot of money trying to do that. So um, anyway, that's just one example, but there's, there's so many tools out there that it can be overwhelming. Um, I would say the other, the other idea uh, I would suggest is start small, you know, a loyal small following or community is much more valuable than a, you know, just a casual larger group. So if you get a small group of like rabid fans of whatever you're doing, um, that can multiply quickly in today's world, but you gotta get those loyal followers who wanna talk about it and, and share it with their friends. I got the impression listening to some of your talks that you uh, follow your own advice actually, and you stay in contact with others in your industry and you're asking them, how are they doing? How can you help? And they seem to respond well to that. And they share with you those things that are concerned and where they could use your best advice. Say to the audience, if you will, how important that is. Uh, people do it by email. 
they pick up the phone, maybe. Uh, but what's your best advice in terms of building that following and staying in touch with your audience? Yeah, I think it. I think it, it's a great point. I, the the way I look at my network and just you know over the years is, you know, I hope I give more than I take, and if I can be helpful to other people, I, I find that lots of people like to help me as well. And it's not, I don't do it for that purpose, but it's just what happens. If you, if you give, you're going to get, and usually you end up getting more than you give if you put your energy into something. So it's really just an abundance attitude. And, you know, I, I've always been, look, there's always situations where you've got competitive, a competitive company or brand that you're fighting with, and I'm trying to get this shelf space and you're trying to get it. And, you know, th there's nothing wrong with healthy competition, but I think in most cases, people get too caught up in that instead of trying to figure out how to make the whole industry better and bigger and in a, particularly in a new category like cannabinoids and hemp and uh, cannabis in general, um, the whole industry is growing so fast that there's no reason not to help each other and, and, and make, make the industry a better place for, for everyone. It must be very exciting for you to go into a market that is expansive in its growth and make an impact, make a, uh, be an influencer in that market. Do you see it as exciting like that? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I don't think of it as to be an influencer, but it's kind of by my nature is I like to jump into things. And when I do, I go all in. So it ends up happening a lot of times. And it happened to me in .com and it, before that, you know, I started a bottled water company in the early 90s that we sold to Nestle down, the, you know, later. Uh, and at the time, bottled water was, you know, maybe there was Perrier and Evian and that's about it. I don't know. You probably remember that, but it was it was not a lot of brands. Um, so that was at the cutting edge at the time when I did dot com in 99 and 2000. It was, you know, cutting edge, uh, innovative ways to do business in, a, in, a, in the alcohol industry. Uh, and so I've always been kind of interested in what's next. And so, yeah, this is exciting because it is, it is the next big frontier. There's really, other than prohibition of alcohol that got repealed in 1933, there has never been uh, an industry at this scale that was illegal that became legal, you know, overnight, relatively speaking, right? And that's what's happening now. So it's pretty, pretty exciting to be a part of that. And uh, again, I, I, I try to give more than I take and, and help as many people as I can along the way. And, you know, you have to, I like to do good. And that's a big part of our values in our company and what we want to do and help people and uh, do, do good by people. I always say you have to make the business work. And if you want to do things that help people, you got to make a business that actually is successful. And do, do one you, last thing okay. you showed a, <laughs> Hold on, Christopher. You showed a bottle of cannabis from 1913. I think you said it was Eli Lilly that made the product. I was blown away by that. I had no idea that that kind of thing existed. So I want to thank you for sharing that because it shows the historical reference of where we are. For, look, for thousands of years, humans have been using cannabis plant as a medicine and to help them live better lives. And we had this little blip called prohibition of cannabis that started in the 30s and is ending now uh, that you know was was against history and against science and against 
fairness. And now we're fixing that. And it's great to be here at the time when it's happening. There was a lot of people came before me who fought for this and never got to see it get done. And so I have respect for those early pioneers that, but you know, now's when it's happening. So it's pretty exciting. Do, do you see yourself uh, looking to a, uh, acquire any companies that aren't uh, necessarily on your product uh, categories right now? Sure. Um, you know, I, over the years I've, I was talking to someone yesterday. I think I've, I've probably been involved with or done like 40 acquisitions of, of different companies and uh, we've, you know, businesses and did the partnership with Kathy Ireland. One of them was for the technology, which is gives us a patented cannabinoid delivery system. The other was a candy company. It was the organic candy factory. That is a, a category that we weren't in, uh, that we saw lots of potential. It had a little cult-like following in Southern California, but lacked resources. And now we're rolling that brand out nationally in the candy better for you sector, and then adding CBD for the CBD business. So things like that, you'll see us getting engaged with peripheral categories that we think make sense to, that have a health and wellness bent to them. Um, that's the only really consistent theme is brands that stand out that can help people. And, you know, I think you'll see us pretty active in the M&A space, uh, you know, in the, in the near future uh, with if everything goes according to plan. Uh, you all know uh, plans are meant to be changed. So we're working hard to get all the capital we need, uh, hopefully get public in, in not too distant future and uh, and give us the runway to do the things that we, we know we can get done. Well, with your background yes. in the okay. beverage business, uh, I, I know of a couple of companies that are doing infused wine. So maybe you'll, <laughs> have you already taken a look at that? <laughs> well, um, I have, I've tried a couple, um, you currently, that's not a permitted form. You can't add CBD to an alcohol beverage and you can't add THC to an alcohol beverage either. So, uh, there's going to be some time before I think that's going to be permitted if it ever is like, for instance, you can't, you know, there was a product years ago called, uh, four loco, which was caffeinated. Use some, I think some a couple, uh, young people, died drinking it. And so they banned caffeine from, you can't add caffeine to alcohol. Well, that doesn't stop people from buying a Red Bull and buying some vodka and putting it together, right? Like it doesn't stop it, but you can't bottle it that way. And that's the same thing with alcohol and cannabis. You, you can't put it together today, um, but it doesn't mean people aren't gonna participate in both sports. Right. <clears throat> Well, Ellen, do you have any final questions before we wrap up this episode of Make Your Pitch? No final questions, but a big thanks for your insight in sharing uh, your perspective and how you have come forward in your business. So thank you for that. And, and Smoke, well, as we- Thank you both for having me. As we close out, I, I always like to ask uh, if you have any uh, final things you'd like to say to the audience, uh, uh, new companies uh, and so forth, or just something from the heart that you would like to close out with? Sure. Uh, you know, entrepreneurship is hard. And it, I, we, I say often, it ain't for the meek. Uh, <laughs> so when you run into challenges, uh, recognize that you're not, you're not the first and you won't be the last to have challenges. And it's all about how you respond to those challenges and your ability to be resilient and think of new ways to achieve your objective. And 
Um, you know, the only difference between a lot of people who win and a lot of people who don't win is the ones that win don't give up. And, you know, uh, success might be just literally one more, one more pitch, one more uh, sales pitch, one more pitch to an investor. And I, I like to say every time I get a no from an investor, which I've gotten thousands of no's over the years, every time I get a no, I'm one step closer to that yes. So if I get a hundred no's, I know I'm going to get a yes, the next one. So that's, uh, that's my advice. <laughs> that's a great, great way to look at it. Smoke Wallen, it's been a pleasure to have you on this episode of Make Your Pitch. It's, uh, this information uh, is absolute golden. And so I hope everyone really listens closely and takes notes. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode, Smoke. Thanks for having me. All right. Ellen, is, uh, you know, as we close out, we always like to say, stay consistent when you make your pitch. And always make your pitch. We'll see you all next Thursday on the next episode of Make Your Pitch. If you enjoyed today's episode of Make Your Pitch, go smash the subscription button. And if you want, leave us a five-star review. If you think you have what it takes to be on one of our episodes, contact us by going to the show notes to learn how. But most of all, be with us again next week for another episode of Make Your Pitch. Make Your Pitch.